Has anybody ever heard somebody say that youth are the future of the church? You ever heard that before? See, I don't believe that. I believe that youth are the church. We don't need to wait on y'all. Junior high, high school, young adults, you are the leaders right here, right now, in this time and place. You are not the future, you are the now. If that's you today, we have a place for you to serve. We have a place for you to lead. We have a place for you to get involved in this community of faith and shape who we are right here, right now. As a matter of fact, that young man who led our second song this morning, Isaac, is 24 years old. Could you give it up for Isaac? Man. That's fantastic. Not, not the, the young man is 24. The, the young woman who led, that's my wife. She is not 24. Um, that, that would have meant that we got married when she was 11, which we did not. Uh, so, uh, and, and so toward that end, our youth director, Brandon Bernard, is preaching this morning. And yeah, you can give it up for Brandon. And so as a church, uh, we're going to do a couple things. We're going to rally around Brandon. We're going to cheer for Brandon. We're going to hoot and holler. If there's something he says that you don't like, feel free to heckle. Um, Is that okay, Brandon? (laughs) Brandon's over there just, why would you tell them that? Why would you tell them that? And most importantly, we are going to hear uh, the word that God has placed on Brandon's heart for us this morning, because I think it's so appropriate and relevant for who we are and, and, and what's going on. Uh, Brandon uh, is 26 years old. He's been a part of our staff for the last couple of years, been involved with Bayview Glen Church for a very long time, long before that. Uh, Ashish, who's part of our tech and production team, wanted me to remind you this morning that Brandon is single. And if he remains single for another year, Ashish will have to arrange a marriage for him. So... So just a heads up there. Hey, would you join me in welcoming Brandon Bernard? <laughs> Stop. <laughs> oh, thank you. I don't know, maybe not. I don't really thank you for that. <laughs> it is good to be back. Um, it, is, it is so good. And, and we're in a series um, called Stranger in a Strange Land. And so it's really exciting that I get to preach um, this morning. Like Lucas said, we're actually in Daniel chapter 3. And so... Um, there's a really, really cool story in there, and we see how there are these young men who are actually strangers in a strange land, and it's really cool because of maybe a couple of years ago, a few years ago, I kind of felt what it was like to be a stranger in a strange land. Um, uh, for, those, for some of you guys who might not know me or, or when you, when you, yeah, who don't know me, um, I'm actually the product of an interracial marriage, and when you look at me, you wouldn't be able to tell, most of you guys wouldn't be able to tell, um, but... Uh, my dad's actually um, from Sri Lanka. He was born in Sri Lanka, and he actually is from a, a subculture called Tamil, so different language, different uh, culture in there. But surprisingly for some of you guys, I'm actually, my mom is Filipino, right? And so when you look at genetics and you look at me, clearly my dad's genetics are a little bit stronger than my mom's. And so, uh, but I am, I am the product of, 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 of two different races, um, but I grew up in Canada. I grew up in Canada, in Markham more specifically, and so I don't know a lot about either of those cultures, uh, don't, really, don't really know much about the language or um, the heritage, and so a couple years ago, a few years ago, I was really, you know what, I want to learn more. I want to learn more about where I come from, my ancestry, learn more about these cultures and what that looks like in Toronto. And so one of the coolest things about Toronto, and if, even if you know me, I love basketball, uh, but one cool thing about Toronto is that you can literally find a basketball league for anything. 
a basketball, you can find any kind of basketball league. If you, if, you want, if you want to play in a Filipino basketball league, you can find a Filipino basketball league. If you want to play in a Chinese basketball league, there are like 50 Chinese basketball leagues. If you, I kid you not, there is a basketball league in Toronto for people five foot nine and under. If you are five foot nine, you can play, you, there's a league just for you. <laughs> just a bunch of people tired of tall people. Ah. <laughs> and so, <laughs> and so there, there are leagues all over the place. And so I was able to actually find a men's Tamil basketball league and so I signed up, registered, got on a team, and was excited, and I went there. But within the very first few minutes of, of going and, and introducing myself, it was very apparent how much of a stranger I was in this strange land. Um, I don't know if you know anything about Tamil, uh, Tamil people or their names, but Russell Peters has this joke where if you were to put their name on a name tag, it would start here, and it would go all the way around because, because Tamil people have very long last names or full names and it can be very hard to pronounce. And so when I was there and I was introducing myself to people, uh, I had to ask them maybe like five or six times, like, what's your name? How do I say that? Because you know what my name is? My name is Brandon Bernard. Like I have two of the whitest names. My middle name is Mark. Like, I am Brandon Mark Bernard. Like, I listen to country music. I am probably the whitest brown person on the planet. And so for me to go step into this Tamil basketball league was like a strange land. Like, it definitely uh, stuck out like a sore thumb. And so when we look at Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the, the, the characters um, in the book of Daniel, we see how they are strangers in a strange land. So I can kind of get a little bit of a glimpse. Obviously, it's a completely different context, but I can get a little glimpse of what it's like to be a stranger in a strange land. And so we're in Daniel chapter three, and I actually invite you guys to open up your Bibles. Um, there's a Bible in the seat back in front of you if you have your phone or tablet, however you uh, want to join us. We're in Daniel chapter three. We're actually gonna pick it up in verse eight. But we have such a cool uh, narrative in this book of Daniel, and especially in chapter three. And there's really one point that we're gonna center our time around in this one idea. And it's a really simple idea, but it holds so much truth, and it's such a good reminder for us, and it's this point that faith changes everything. That faith can change everything in your life, it can change everything in the people's lives around you, it can change everything in a culture, in a nation, in a country, everywhere, it can change everything. Powerful, powerful faith can change everything. But this word faith, it, it is used a lot. It's definitely used a lot. If you've been going to church for a long time, you know this word faith has been used a lot. In the Bible, it's used over three, 400 times in certain translations. And so let's def we need to actually define this word, of word faith before we go anywhere. And if you were here um, this summer, we were actually in a series in James um, talking about wisdom, but in one chapter, we actually were able to define faith. And so we're gonna use this definition of faith, that faith is an act of trust. That real faith, true faith, is an actual active trust in God. Real faith in God is an active trust in God. It's not just about what you believe in your mind, but it's about actively putting your actions and, and putting, um, putting, putting your money where your, your mouth is and actually actively trusting in God. See, in James chapter two, it says this. What good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith, but don't show it by your actions? Can that kind of faith save anyone? See, it's, it's, not, it's not enough for me to just say, you know what, I, I see the stage, right? I see the stage and I, I can look at the blueprints and, and look at how big it is and how, how the material that was used and, and you know what, that would probably hold me, but real faith is actually getting up and standing on the stage and knowing that it's gonna hold me 
up because real faith is an active trust. It's not just what's in your mind. It's not just what you believe. That is a part of faith, but it's not just what you believe. It's an active trust in God, and that active trust can change everything for us. It can change so much, and it can do powerful things, and that's where we're, where we're at this morning. And so let me lay down the groundwork before we get into the actual text. Uh, we know about these characters, uh, or these, these uh, young men, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and I'm actually going to use their Babylonian names because that's what they use in VeggieTales. And so... Um, and that's, so we're going to start with them, and we know that these men are actually taken out of their Hebrew land and are put in this Babylonian uh, empire, in this kingdom, where they are foreigners. They are, they are strangers in a strange land, a different context, different values, different morals, different everything. Everything was different for them. And so they are strangers walking around, and we actually learned in, in the previous chapter, they're actually elevated into a little bit more of a, of a status um, in this kingdom. But they are, uh, they are strangers um, through and through in this land. But one really um, interesting thing that happens and, and really tough thing that happens for these men is that their, the, the nation, Babylon, is, is, is controlled by this uh, king named King Nebuchadnezzar. King Nebuchadnezzar actually has this golden statue created and looks something, uh, might look like something like this. Uh, we don't know actually if it was a statue of himself or if it was a statue of one of the gods. But the point is here that, that the king uh, has this law that every time the music plays, every time the certain music plays, that everyone in Babylon would have to kneel and bow down before the statue. And, and if you know about the Hebrew boys, that this would be a huge dilemma for them. See, they would have grown up knowing about the true God, Yahweh, the one God that's a jealous, jealous God who deserves worship and is the only item of their worship. And so for them now being put into Babylon and this new law where they have to bow down before the king or before the golden statue would pose a problem for them. Because if they don't bow down, they're going to be thrown into a fiery furnace and die. And so we pick it up in verse eight and we see this dilemma and what happens. But some of the astrologers, and we'll start right there, astrologers, uh, we've been introduced to these characters. Um, some translations call them the Chaldeans um, or magicians. We've seen different uh, words used there. And so we'll just use astrologers for here. But um, some of the astrologers went to the king and informed on the Jews. They said to the king, Nebuchadnezzar, long live the king. You issued a decree requiring all the people to bow down and worship the gold statue. When they hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipes, and other musical instruments, that, that decree also states that those who refuse to obey must be thrown into a blazing furnace. But there are some Jews, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, whom you have put in charge of the province of Babylon. They pay no attention to you, your majesty. They refuse to serve your gods and do not worship the gold statue you have set up. Well, we're going to pause right there. Um, like I said, we're introduced to these, these Chaldeans, these astrologers, these people. They're just workers in this kingdom. Right? And they see that, that, uh, Dan, or that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are not um, following the laws and are not worshiping. And so, uh, like I said, Chaldeans can be referred to as like magicians or, or, uh, or astrologers, just workers in the kingdom. I actually have another translation for Chaldeans. It's, it's snitches. That Chaldeans are actually snitches, right? They see something and that they, they go immediately and tell the king. Um, and so when I think of a snitch, I actually think of, of this guy. Does anyone know who this is? Yeah? Do you know who this is? Millennials in the house? We know who this is? We grew up watching him? Yeah? This is Randall. This is Randall from one of the greatest shows, uh, Recess, growing up, Saturday morning, watching Recess. Uh, Randall is a character, and he's probably the ultimate snitch, 
right? He is probably the ultimate uh, snitch uh, that, we, that we knew growing up because every time TJ and the gang would get into some trouble or do something, um, it was always Randall went running straight to Miss Finster, go, Miss Finster, Miss Finster, TJ and the gang, and he would do, go on and tell them everything that they were doing. And so the Chaldeans, these astrologers, they do their best Randall impersonation and go, King Nebuchadnezzar, King Nebuchadnezzar, Shadrach and the gang, and they go and tell go and tell the king about what Shadrach, and the, and the, and Shadrach Meshach, and Abednego are up to. And so these, these Chaldeans are snitching on, on, on our Jewish men. And so let's see how the story continues. Then Nebuchadnezzar flew into a rage and ordered that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought before him. When they were brought in, Nebuchadnezzar said to them, is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they refuse to serve my gods, or to worship the gold statue I've set up. I will give you one more chance to bow down and worship the statue I have made when you hear the sound of the musical instruments. But if you refuse, you will be thrown immediately into the blazing furnace. And then what God will be able to rescue you from my power. Let's pause right there. See, we're now in this situation. The king finds out about these guys who are not listening to him. Right? They're completely disobeying his laws and he gets so angry. He is so angry, he is fuming with rage and, and he, he doesn't want to be upstaged by these guys and, and actually gives them one more chance. He says, hey, one more chance or else I have to throw you into the fiery furnace. And so when, when we're in this, in this scenario and this scene has been set, I think of what it would be like to be Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I think what it would be like for them because for them, there's, there's two things. There's a threat of a negative consequence and the lure of a positive consequence. So we know the threat of the negative consequence being the fire. We know that if they do not bow down, if they do not worship the statue and, and, and follow the patterns of that culture, they're gonna be thrown into the fire. But there's also a lure of positive consequences. See, we know that they are already established in this kingdom. They are working in this kingdom and they, they've started to become people of status in this kingdom. And so they know that if they were to follow the laws and, and continue to act like everyone else and, and maybe bow down in front of this golden statue, that maybe there's some uh, positive things that would come out of this. Maybe we would be elevated in this kingdom and maybe there'd be things for us and greater ways for us to be glorified and lifted up. And so the, these young men, these, the Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they are posed with dilemma. See, where they know the truth and they know what they believe but their faith is being tested with this threat of a negative consequence, but also the lure of a positive consequence. And I think that might sound familiar for us. Even, even thousands of years later, we, we also have this threat of a negative consequence, or maybe it's a lure of a positive consequence. See, the threat of a negative consequence might not be a, a literal fiery furnace for you. It might not be the certain death but maybe it's, it's losing your job or, or being humiliated in front of, uh, of, of people in your school or your friends or family. See, that might be the negative consequence for you, but maybe there's a lure of a positive consequence. Maybe it's, it's, it's being elevated at work. Maybe it's being elevated and glorified in front of your friends if you, um, if you uh, stumble on your faith or if you shift and, and move away from what you know and truly believe. And so that same push and pull, that threat of, 
threat and lure of a negative consequence and a positive con consequence um, shows the same for us even today in 2020 in the same way that they, these, these young men also had that threat of a negative consequence and the lure of a positive consequence. And so let's see how these young men respond. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. But even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue you've set up. Wow, like what a powerful response. What a powerful response. The, in the midst of what is certain death, what could be certain death, their faith stood firm. Their faith was strong. They did not waver. They knew what they believed and they knew that their God is good and that they were able to, they, they were able to say and stand up to the king and say, no, we will not bow down. We will not bow down. We know that our God will save us. And the most powerful thing is that even if, they had this mindset that even if he doesn't save us, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what you do to us. It doesn't matter what threat you put in front of us, what lure you put in front of us. We will not worship your God. We will stand firm in our faith. Rich Wilkerson Jr. is, is a pastor in, uh, in the States, a great communicator, and he actually coins it as an even if faith, an even if faith, and that is really my prayer for us, Bayview Glen, and, and for myself, and for us as followers of Christ, that we have this even if faith in the midst of what could be the darkest times, the loneliest times, the most broken we may ever feel, knowing that we have this even, we're having this even if faith can change everything. That is what we are called to have. Is we are called to have this even faith, despite our circumstances, despite how everyone else may be going, despite if everyone is going one way, we are called to go God's way, right? We are called to have this even if faith, this powerful faith, because it can change everything. And we're gonna see in a, in a, in a few minutes how it changes everything for these men. But this even if faith is so powerful and it's something for all of us. It's not just for some Right, those really good Christians, it's for all of us, this powerful faith that can change everything. That is what we are called to, to have, my brothers and sisters, because that faith can change everything. And, and when, when I say that, I'm sure that maybe stirs something in you and maybe it's like, you know, Brandon, yeah, that, that's something I want. I want to have that even if faith. I want to have that powerful faith that changes everything. Right, that sounds good. Like who, what Christian wouldn't want that? Right, but how do we get there? How do we get to that point? How do we get to that point where I can literally go and say, I don't care about a fiery furnace, that it doesn't matter, I'm going to worship the real God. How do we get to that point? Well, we know that we can call on God for faith. We know that he will give that to us. But I actually wanna look at, at the lives of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and what we can pull from the text and see what do they do? What do they do to actually have that kind of faith? Because we know it doesn't just come out of nowhere. Right, that faith is, 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 is grown in them. And so there's three things that we see from the text. There's three things that we realize when we look at the lives of these three men, of where this faith comes from. And the first thing we realize is that they, they shift their focus to God. 
And that is what we're supposed to do, is that we are called to shift our focus to God. If you notice in the text that they're not worried about themselves, they're not worried about how their, what their needs are, or even for their own life, they're not worried about how they can be glorified. They're not worried about the lure of positive things and what, how they can be elevated in the kingdom, but instead that they're focused on God. They're focused on worshiping the true God, because when we shift our focus on God and we keep our eyes on God, we know that he is so good and we know that he is worthy of our worship and that it doesn't matter about what we need or what we want and and how we can be glorified and, and elevated, but about how God can be glorified. And so that is the first thing that we do, that we can do to help us develop that faith. The second thing that we can do, and I actually uh, learned this um, a few years ago. I, was, I had the chance to be uh, mentored and discipled by uh, former pastor, Pastor Kevin Chan, and, and he was an awesome mentor, um, really changed how I saw a lot about my faith. But one really important practice he did, and he, and he instilled in me, was this idea of setting up signposts. Setting up signposts, and, and for some of us, that, that, that term might be an Ebenezer, but the idea is that you would look back in your life And every time that God was faithful, every time God showed up and was good, you set up a signpost. You set up and actively set up a signpost. It might actually be a physical thing or written down or some memory, but remembering times when God was faithful. See, this is such an important practice for us because when we set up these signposts, when we set up these Ebenezers, and we set up these times where we remember God was here, God was here, I saw God here, So that when we're in those dark times, when we're in those lonely times, when we're in those times where we feel like God is not here, God has left, that I am all on my own, that we're able to go back and say, no, God was here. I saw God God show up here, right? I saw God show up when this relationship was broken or when I got this diagnosis. We can see how God has been faithful in the past and how he is going to do it again. And so for these men, we know that in the past, they have already seen how powerful God is. They've already seen the works of their true God and so that when they come to this situation, even though it is probably one of the scariest situations that we can get into, right? They could literally lose their lives. They can say, you know what? No, I've already seen God show up. I've already seen him do powerful things and I know that he will do it again. And so it doesn't matter what you do. And so my, my hope is that we be able to look back and you get into that practice of setting up signposts and, and remembering, you know, God was present here. And maybe, maybe your, your faith is, is pretty new, but you can look at other people's faith and you can start to look at other people around you and see how God was so powerful in their lives. And so that's, that's the second point. The third and last point, and it's so cool uh, that we see this, is that when you look at the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you read Daniel, you notice that they're always together. That they're always together. And so my, uh, the practice for us is to get around others, to get around other followers of Christ, other Christians, other people who believe, other people of faith. Because when we get around others, that's when our faith grows. That when we get around other fellow believers is that when our faith can be, um, can be grown and, and spurred on and encouraged. Because the enemy knows that when he divides you, when he gets you on your own, when he has you um, alone, that's when he can conquer you. And so it's so important for us, church, it's so important for us um, as believers in Christ that we be in community, we be around other people because that is how we encourage one another, that's how our faith grows. 
Um, I've been, Lucas mentioned this, I've been doing ministry for, for full-time here for about two and a half years now, but I've been doing ministry for, for quite a long time here at, here at Bayview, and it can be tough. Like, like when they tell you to, you get into it, it can be tough, especially in, in youth ministry, right? There, there are times when I'll walk in on a, on a Friday night or on a Sunday morning and be like, I don't want to do this. Like, I don't want to go and prepare this talk and, and talk for 30 minutes just to have teenagers texting in front of me and, and doing whatever <laughs> and not listening to me. Like, it can be tough. It can be really tough to do ministry, but one of the greatest things, and the reason I don't do ministry alone and have some of the greatest youth, I honestly think I have some of the greatest youth leaders in the GTA, um, it's because when, I go in, when I'm in those situations, when I really feel like, you know what, I don't want to do this anymore, I'm really, really tired, right? I'd rather just go home is when they show up and they get around me and they can encourage me and they, they show me why we're doing this. They're able to get around me and, and encourage me and spur me, spur me on. And so it's so important for us to, to get into life groups and to, to join serve teams because when we're around fellow believers, that is when our faith can grow and we can have that powerful faith that changes everything, that changes where we serve, that changes where we work, changes where we live. And so those are the three things that, that we learn from Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Those are the three things that, that we can actually start to implement right now is that we can start to shift our focus to God and take it off of ourselves to shift our focus onto the real God that, wor- that we are called to worship. And that we're also called to, to remember the good things that God has done and remember how amazing and how faithful God has been in the past, but also that we're called to get around one another, get around other fellow believers, other Christians, because that is when our faith can really shine. That's when our faith can really grow and where we can go and stand firm. When the culture might be going one way or when your friends and family might be saying one thing or your coworkers might be doing one thing, we can go and say, no, I know this is what my God would want me to do. I know this is where I'm supposed to be. This is what I'm supposed to believe, that we can have that even if faith, that powerful, powerful faith that really changes everything. And so let's see how our story continues and how our story ends, actually. Nebuchadnezzar was so furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that his face became distorted with rage. He commanded that the furnace be heated seven times hotter than usual. Then he ordered some of the strongest men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. So they tied them up and threw them into the furnace, fully dressed in their pants, turbans, robes, and other garments. And because the king in his anger had demanded such a hot fire in the furnace, the flames killed the soldiers as they threw the three men in. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, securely tied, fell into the roaring flames. See, let's pause right there. See, this, the king gets so mad, right? He's so upset that they will not bow down and worship. So he makes the fire even hotter. And he makes it so hot that we can actually skip over this point, but it, it gets so hot that it actually kills the soldiers as they're throwing Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego into the fire. And it's a point that we can, we can kind of glance over, but it's an important one because, see, what the enemy intended to destroy God's people ended up destroying God's enemies. Isn't that cool? Like, the thing that the, 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 the enemy had designed to actually destroy God's people. Like, I'm gonna throw you into this furnace and I'm going to win? No, no, no. It actually ended up destroying God's enemy. Those, those soldiers actually ended up dying. And we're actually gonna see how the story continues and how powerful it is. But the thing that was intended to destroy these men, these, these God's people, ended up destroying God's enemies. And this actually is really cool because it actually is a little bit of a foreshadow to the gospel and the cross. 
See, the cross, the devil had set up the cross to destroy Jesus, right? The cross was the devil's way of saying, you know what, I'm gonna kill him and it's gonna be done and I'm gonna win. But if we know the gospel and we know the truth, we know that that, that cross uh, did not defeat Jesus. That cross actually defeated the enemy. And we know that that, that cross was n- never ended up working and that the devil actually loses. And it actually, he ends up getting defeated. And so powerful because we have a God that takes what was meant for evil, takes what was meant for bad, takes what was, was um, yeah, meant for evil, and he ends up reversing it and destroying the enemy and destroying uh, God's enemies. And we see that in our lives, we've seen that in, in the church and even in, in this room, we've seen times where God, even in the midst of the darkest times and the most evil times, you've seen how God has taken that and he's turned that for your good and turned that for our good. And we've seen it, we see it in Daniel chapter three and we see it in 2020, we see it in our lives right now. And so let's keep going, chapter Sorry, in verse 24, but suddenly Nebuchadnezzar jumped up in amazement and exclaimed to his advisors, didn't we tie up three men and throw them into the furnace? Yes, your majesty, we certainly did, they replied. Look, Nebuchadnezzar shouted, I see four men unbound walking around in the fire unharmed. And the fourth looks like a god. I just want to pause right there because we see that there were three people thrown in, but a fourth person shows up. And a lot of times we might think that might be, that's Jesus, or when you read it in certain trends, it might be an angel or some sort of Christ-like figure. And we don't know for sure who it was, but I think the most powerful thing right there is that in the fire, in the midst of what is probably death for them, that God is right there beside them. That is the most important part. Uh, that Pastor Rich, he, he has this thing that he says that even even in, when, when life heats up, God shows up. When life heats up, when things are going so bad, God is right there beside you. In this, those times when you feel like you're all alone, that God has given up on you, that, that there's no point to this anymore, that is, right, that is when God is right beside you. That is when God is right there and, he, and he's, he's saying that, no, no, I'm, I'm, I'm right here in this fiery furnace and we're gonna do some amazing thing and this faith is gonna change Things. And so, verse 25, he says, or sorry, as we keep going, then Nebuchadnezzar came as close as he could to the door of the flaming furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servant of the most high God, come out, come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stepped out of the fire. Then the high officers, officials, governors, and advisors crowded around them and saw that the fire had not touched them. Not a hair on their heads was singed and their clothing was not scorched. They didn't even smell of smoke. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, praise to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He sent his angel to rescue his servants who trusted in him. They defied the king's command and were willing to die rather than serve or worship any god except their own. Therefore, I make this decree. If any people, whatever their race or nation or language, speak a word against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They will be torn limb from limb and their houses will be turned into heaps of rubble. There is no God who can rescue like this. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to even higher positions in the province of Babylon. So let's go back to the beginning where these men were in a dilemma and they had this situation where they were probably going to die Right? They were faced with this, this, this lure and this threat and they were most likely going to die. 
And as we see them step into faith and actively put their trust in God, we see how their faith changes everything. That this king that, wa- that wanted all the glory ends up worshiping God. This, God. this king that was so angry and only wanted all the glory and praise for himself actually ends up worshiping the true God. Like That is so powerful that this faith actually changed this, the king's mind and it was able to change his life. It changed the decrees of the land that they were, that they were now allowed to um, worship their own God. It changes everything. See, real faith and active trust in God that even if faith changes everything, it can do powerful things. And, and as, as I was, um, I was talking to Lucas about how, how I wanted to end, end this talk and end, end this sermon, I was like, man, I really wanna uh, come up with like, or share a story of how this faith changed everything in today's society. What, what would that look like today? What would our fiery furnace be and what would our um, threat and our lure of consequences, what, what would that look like? And he, and he said that you might not have a story that you can come with and, and share, but I know that there are people in this very room who probably do. Some of you guys might actually be in that situation where the, you are in a fiery furnace and you have this threat of a negative consequence but there's also probably some of us who are probably in that situation where we have that lure, that lure of, of glory, of a positive thing, of, of how we can be glorified. And so, and so we, we know that our, this faith can change everything. And so my hope and my prayer for you is, is you are in that, in that situation and, and you are in that circumstance, and you have this faith that, that you want to stand firm and you know is true, but it's being pulled and pushed, that you know that, that you can get around other people, that you can focus on God, that you can remember how good, faithful God is, because that faith, that stand firm faith, that even if faith, that can change everything. It has changed everything. And, it, and one of the coolest things that, of working at a church is that we, we get to read our prayer requests that we get. Right, when you add prayer requests to the prayer wall or if you phone in or email in prayer requests, we get, we, get, we get a chance to read over them and pray over them. And it's just so encouraging to see so many believers putting their faith and active trust in God and, and saying, God, like, I know I can't do this on my own. I need to look to you and I need to, to pray to you because you are the only way that I'm gonna get through this. So that, that, is, that is our hope for you this morning. That is our, my prayer for you this morning. That, that in the midst of your fiery furnace, in the midst of, of that threat of a negative consequence where you might be, uh, you might lose it all. You might lose those relationships. You might lose your job. You might lose everything. Or maybe there's that, that lure of positive, conse- positive consequence. In the midst of that, you know that having that faith that God can give you, that God, that this faith in God, in the true God, that it can change everything. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you for who you are. God, we know that you are the one true God who is worthy of our praise. And God, so we give you all the glory, God, and as we look to you, God, it humbles us. We come knowing that you are the only perfect one. God, that you are the alpha and the omega. You are the beginning and the end. God, that you are the only one deserving of our worship. God, so we put our focus on you, God, and we thank you 
God, that, that you were right beside us in that fiery furnace, God, in, in the midst of, of the broken relationship, God, or the, just that hopelessness, knowing that maybe there is no way out of this, God, that even in the midst of that, God, that you are right walking right beside us. God, that you love us so much that you sent your son to die for us, God, and we know and we ask for that even if faith. God, that would you stir that in us? Would you get us around people and remind us of how faithful you've been because we want that even if faith, that faith that stands firm, that faith that is so strong, that faith that can really change everything. God, we ask for that. God, would you give us that faith? So God, we go before you humbled, thankful for you. God, would you give us that faith? In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.